Hey y'all, thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. I'm your host, Kay Simone, and this time I get to take a step back because my brother Sammy will be telling us all about the Jonestown Massacre, starting with the background of Jim Jones. Now, Kira, <laughs> I hope you're listening to this episode. Don't you text us no more about when it's coming out, okay? It's coming and it's dedicated to you. And I don't know much about this case, but it might change the way we look at the expression, drink the Kool-Aid. The world is fucked up, y'all. Let's talk about it. What up, what up, what up? Welcome to Black Girl True Crime Podcast. Uh, today, it's your boy, Sammy. Kay is taking a break. Well, sure not really. Uh, I'm actually getting my hair locked as we record this episode. So it's a very black-ass Some episode. Some powerful niggas at work here, y'all. <laughs> All right. So uh, today, we are going to be talking about the Jonestown Massacre, starting with the the youth of Jim Jones. Now we've all at one time said the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, but do y'all know what that really means? Where it comes from? This episode is going to give y'all a detailed overview of the life of Jim Jones, his followers, and the events leading up to one of the biggest mass suicides in American history. Big trigger warning on this episode. There's mention of suicide, murder, sexual assault, and war. Sexual assault? Sexual assault. If you decide to hang, grab a blanket and a snack and let's get into it. All right. So... The tragic tale of Jim Jones and the People's Temple Church uh, ended in their mass suicide in Jonestown, November 18, 1978, and it remains notorious to this day. Uh, beyond the sensationalist headlines of the time, however, lies not only an alarming lesson in religious fanaticism, but a warning of the dangers of unchecked powers and unregulated cults. So off the top, there's going to be considerable information, that, but it all will be relevant later, I promise. Um, Tim Reiterman explains in Raven, Jones' darker qualities, his need to control people, his deceit, his anger towards people who betrayed and abandoned him, could be traced to his childhood in Indiana. So before we dive into the story of Jonestown, let's look at uh, Jim Jones' early life and career. James Warren Jones was born May 13, 1931 in Crete, Indiana, to James Thurman Jones and Lynette Putnam. Uh, James went by Jimmy in his youth, so that's what we're going to call him. We're going to call him Jimmy to differentiate between him and daddy. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> James was a World War One vet who suffered from severe breathing difficulties due to injuries he um, got in a chemical attack. He oh, received no. a military pension, but it wasn't enough to support the family. Like, they was poor, okay? Uh, Dad tried to supplement the income, but it still wasn't enough, so... 1934, we're in the middle of the Great Depression. The Jones family was evicted for failure to make mortgage payments. Their relatives, bless them, bought them a little shack to live in in Lynn, Indiana. And this is where Jimmy grew up. There was a no shack, a know? shack. There was no plumbing, no electricity, and no food. Uh, they tried farming, but Big James couldn't keep up uh, as his health deteriorated. So the Jones family relied heavily on financial support from extended family and would also forge in the nearby forest and fields to supplement their diet. It should be noted that little Jimmy was often neglected as a kid. Uh, his mama didn't have no maternal instincts. In fact, the pregnancy was unwanted and it showed more and more as he grew up. She was pretty bitter at her life, how broke and how low on the social pole they was. She couldn't have gotten, she could have gotten a job, a J-O-B. Wait, 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 wait. So basically, let me just understand. So... Like, they're growing up poor. They couldn't afford the mortgage payments. 
and then a family buys them a chicken shack to live in mm-hmm. and then mom is mad because they're poor but she won't get a job but didn't go out there and get a job exactly yeah cool um, all right and once jimmy was actually school <laughs> age the extended family refused to support them unless she got a job so this made her even more bitter um and also around this time big james was hospitalized pretty frequently so jimmy's parents were often mia uh i read on one website that he often wandered the streets of the town sometimes naked with nobody caring for him like many women felt sorry for him what yes like he ain't have no clothes on he was wandering the streets of lynn indiana naked as a j-word wait is Uh, this man white Yes, he is a white man. In fact, we'll put some pictures up on uh, TikTok once this is over. But he kind of looked like Elvis in his older older years. Because, yeah, mind you, y'all, I know nothing about this case. So it's a surprise for everyone. It's a fucking surprise. So this little white baby. This little white baby running around, around naked. Okay. Uh, many women felt sorry for him. And Jimmy was frequently invited into people's homes for food and clothes. Uh, so this part's like super important it explains a lot of jones's personality there was one woman in particular who took a special interest in jimmy her name was myrtle kennedy and she was the wife of the pastor of the local nazarene church uh girl i had to look this up because i never heard of nazarene church but apparently they have elements of congregationalist presbyterian and episcopal policies the theology of the religion is methodist in in its base Um, so back to the story so miss ma'am myrtle has taken a liking to young Jimmy, and he often stayed with her and her husband. Myrtle was known for her religious zeal and took Jones to church multiple times a week. Like, this boy stayed in church when he wasn't running the streets naked. Uh, She gave Jimmy a Bible that he studied, well, religiously, and Jones was able to quote the Bible at a very early age. Okay. As Jones grew up, he was starting to nurse a desire to become a preacher himself and began preaching in private. He was also church hopping y'all like he would go to multiple churches by per week and was baptized by several of them. His mother was starting to get super freaked out. She actually caught him practicing. Um, He was imitating a local pastor and this is where she tried to put her foot down to stop him from attending these churches. But it's like too little, too late. You can't. But how just, you wouldn't give a fuck that your little baby running around these streets? You but can't ass naked and dirty just and up shit. and decide you want to be a mother. Exactly. Um. Anyways, other people were also starting to notice how strange Jimmy was. His neighbors reported that he was obsessed with religion and death. Death. Yes, death. He was like eight years old, obsessed with death. Oh. He would visit a casket maker in Lynn frequently and often had mock funerals for roadkill he found quote unquote what um he would invite the local children but if they wouldn't come he'd just do the funerals anyways like a little weirdo he also claimed that he had special flower powers including the ability to fly to prove it this little nigga jumped off a roof (laughs) did he fly (laughs) he did not in fact fly he just (laughs) broke an arm uh despite this failure he still claimed that he possessed special powers so he was starting this at a young age Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, while he was acting all holy preaching and shit, he was actually kind of a shitty kid. Uh, Neighbors also reported that he frequently stole candy from the stores in town. Uh, Jimmy had a potty mouth and would greet friends and neighbors saying, good morning, you son of a bitch, or hello, you dirty bastard. Excuse me? Yes. He put other children into life-threatening situations (gasps) and would tell them the angel of death was guiding him. How Uh, old was he? Again, he's still like eight, nine, ten here um he where was i when he was older um jones himself 
claimed that he performed numerous sacrilegious pranks at churches he attended. For example, he stole the Pentecostal pastor by pastor's Bible and put <laughs> manure in Acts 2.38, which I looked this up. It reads, And Peter said unto them, Repent ye, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ unto remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he, he put cow poop all over that page. Um, so this motherfucker is just a menace for no reason. Now, why he did that, I can't know. Uh, and he he also claimed that once at a Catholic church, he replaced the holy water with his own pee. Yes. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and this is out of his own mouth. This isn't. He he said he did this. Um, he also claimed this. This is around the time his mother began beating him to punish him. Um, it gets more disturbing. I promise. I promise, y'all. When World That's War II cool. broke out, Jimmy became obsessed with Hitler. He was very interested in the Nazi pageantry, their unity, and the absolute power that Hitler wielded. I would like to point out here that Mance was eight years old when World War II started. So he was obsessed with Hitler at age eight. He would make the local Ooh. kids goose step, which is, you know, like the Nazi salute with the marching right he would make them and he would beat the children that didn't comply again what wait i what? had no idea what this was but i'll post pictures on the tiktok once this episode drops yes i just want to point out so your niece and nephew like they ain't don't. about to be 10 they're still saying mama look at this and then doing the dumbest shit that they could fucking do like just <laughs> little, jumping up little, and down little jimmy jones was out here making people do the nazi salute and admiring nazis um okay my bad okay i'm sorry jimmy developed an intense interest in religion and social doctrines he oh. studied not only hitler but joseph stalin Karl marx mao zedong mahatma gandhi um he spent hours in his local library and would bring books home to pour over the ideologies of these folks to quote jones regarding his childhood i was ready to kill by the end of third grade i mean i was so aggressive and hostile i was ready to kill nobody gave me love any understanding in those days a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions there was some kind of school performance and everybody's parent was there but mine i'm standing there alone always alone which is so Aww. sad right that's sad um, Tim Reiterman, the biographer I mentioned earlier, wrote that James's Jones's attraction to religion was strongly influenced by his desire for family. Jesus, uh, so, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. So uh, you remember Miss Ma'am Myrtle, the yeah. woman that took him in? In 1942, they moved to Richmond, Indiana for the summer, and Jones visited them. Uh, they went to a summer religious convention and participated okay. in services four times a week. And when Jimmy got back to Lynn that year he offended the community by giving explicit explanations of sexual reproduction to the young children what yes and when the community went to jimmy's mom to make him stop she refused for some reason uh, she's just like picking and choosing when she wants to be a parent uh was she like was her only issue like her mental health and the fact that she didn't have a motherly bone in her body was there something else that had happened to this woman um not that i could see i didn't really look too deep into it to be okay, honest no worries um so many parents at this point began keeping their children away from jimmy and by high school he was an outcast amongst his peers and was increasingly disliked by members of the community 
Not much happened in high school. Jimmy was a pretty good student who enjoyed debating his teachers. He was still kind of strange. He would refuse to respond to anyone who spoke to him first and only engaged in conversations when he started them. He oh. also wore his Sunday best seven days a week and carried a Bible with him. You know, normal kid stuff. Uh, he okay. was still pretty alienated due to his religious beliefs and frequently con- and frequently confronted other kids for drinking beer, dancing, and smoking. So he wasn't popular at all. Um, She's uh, only in Indiana. Right. Uh, This is kind of important. Um, Jim Jones did not like losing, and that carried into adulthood, as we'll see later. So he refused to play sports. Instead, he coached teams for younger kids. Uh, One time he was at a baseball game in Richmond and became disturbed by the treatment of Black folks who were also there. The events at this game brought the treatment and discrimination of Black folk to Jones's attention and greatly influenced his strong aversion to racism. Uh, okay. James, on the other hand, Big James, belonged to the Indiana branch of the KKK. God damn, what? How he disabled and dying but still got time to be racist. It don't make no sense. Um, James, Wait. yes. So you tell me this man can't breathe already, but he's using the portion of the lung he got <laughs> to be racist? Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, James and Jimmy had many a disagreement about race and as a result hadn't spoken for many, many years, quote, unquote. Okay. Oh, and he had to stop... Uh, coaching baseball for the kids because he murdered a dog in front of players so there's that <gasps> oh yeah let me just drop that okay this bitch said trigger warning and then unleash the fucking clip but go on we're not even it's not even bad yet okay. um so mom and dad divorced in 1945 jimmy moved with his mom to richmond where he graduated high school in 1948 with honors after the divorce they lost the monetary support from uh big james's family so jones jimmy started working as an orderly at richmond's reed hospital in 1946 okay jones also began dating a nurse in training named marceline baldwin um he went to indiana university in bloomington with the intention of becoming a doctor but changed his mind during his time there though he heard a speech given by eleanor roosevelt about how life was totally crap for black folks during the time. And it was at this point, James began to voice his support for um, communism and other radical political views. It's noted up until this point, he didn't really show any political leanings. Like nobody knew other than his love for Hitler. Nobody really knew anything about him. Okay. Um, Marceline and Jones married in 1949 with Marcy. Her name's Marcy with Marcy working and Jones attending college. Marcy was a Methodist. Yes, isn't that ghetto? <laughs> I'm sorry. Just All right. Marcy was a Methodist, and this led to many arguments due to Jones's opposition of the Methodist Church's racial segregationist practices. Oh, that was a lot. He didn't know who she was when he met her. I guess he thought he could change her. Oh, um, let's do better. And he did eventually. I mean, this eventually calmed down and they actually started attending a local Methodist church on Sundays. Okay. But on the back end, uh, Jimmy was still pressing Marcy to become an atheist. Isn't that funny? He spent all that time learning religion, but he wanted to practice atheism. Um, When Jones was 20, he began attending gatherings of the Communist Party USA in Indian Annapolis. Uh, him and his family were absolutely harassed by the government for their affiliation. Once Jones's mother was harassed by the FBI in front of co-workers because she attended a communist meeting with her son. It was around this time that Jones asked himself, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? The thought was to infiltrate the church. And that's a quote from him. 
Um, okay. So in 1952, he started to do just that. He announced that he was going to become a Methodist minister, thinking the church was ready to put real socialism in place. Um, in the summer of that same year, Jones was hired as a student pastor to the children at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church, where he started a project to create a playground for kids of all races. Isn't okay. that sweet? Um, you know, there's up to, there's a a point where he was a good guy and and you're going to see that in these next few paragraphs um he would end up leaving the church in 1954 i read two conflicting things the church says he was embezzling funds and jones said he left because the church wouldn't let him desegregate i don't know who's telling the truth with what Mm. um i am actually kind of inclined to believe jones Jones. yes because was he like a liar or was he just brutally honest all the time um i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you decide that okay um he let's see here uh considering yeah i even have that here considering that this was on one of his big issues with the church prior to joining i believe jones that when they say that you know they wouldn't let him desegregate um some stuff happened between him leaving somerset though um, in 1953, he visited a Pentecostal Latter Rain convention in Columbus, Indiana, uh, where a woman prophesied that Jones was going to be a prophet with great ministry. Jesus. Now, um, I don't know if y'all know, but in the 50s and 60s, uh, religions, uh, Pentecostals used to have these huge revivals. You know, I'm thinking big white tent outside in the heat, mm-hmm. pastors preaching, praying over people, pushing them over when they don't faint. <laughs> You know, that sort of shit. And so he started attending these. Um, Pentecostalism was in the middle of the healing revival and believing that the rapidly growing Latter Rain movement offered him a better chance to become a preacher, Jones convinced Marcy to leave the Methodist church and join the Pentecostals. So he's already hop skipping around between religions. Okay. Um, in 1953, Jones began attending and preaching at the Laurel Street Tabernacle in Indianapolis, a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church. He held healing revivals there until 1955 and began to travel and speak at other churches in the Latter Rain movement. Mm-hmm. Um, the Assemblies of God were actually severely against the Latter Rain movement. In 1955, they assigned a new pastor to the Laurel Street Tabernacle, who enforced their denominational ban on healing revivals. This led to Jones. I'm sorry. This led Jones to leave and establish Wings of Healing uh, out of a rented building. So that was but the name of. But this is when he started to do the shit himself. Yeah, that was his okay. first church, Wings of Healing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jones's new church attracted only 20 members who had come with him from the Laurel Street Tabernacle, and they were not able to financially support his vision. And child, he wasn't having that. <laughs> so he saw a need for publicity and began to seek a way to popularize his ministry and recruit members. He started thinking back to those faith healings he attended and realized such healings could attract people and generate income. Naturally, he did what any pastor would do. He started faking healing. Oh, I said what I said. He did enlist a few members of the temple to assist him. Um, I'm sorry, I called it the temple, but it should be wings of healing. Um, they they helped. These healings involved chicken livers and other animal tissue, which they claimed were cancerous tissues removed from the body. So he would literally go to heal somebody and they would start coughing and cough up a chicken gizzard or some shit like that. Oh, and they would say, oh, this is my tumor. I'm healed. 
Oh my gosh. Um, by 1955, though, I mean, it worked because he was able to buy his first church building located in a racially mixed Indianapolis neighborhood. It was first named Wings of Deliverance, and later that year, he renamed it the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, or People's Temple for short. Um, People's, by the way, is not spelled with an apostrophe, so it's not like this belongs to the people. It's supposed to mean the people of the world or some shit like that. Okay. Um, Anyways, with reported healings and clairvoyant revelations, spiritualists came running to Jones's church. It was a church that blended Christian faith socialist activism and a communal lifestyle and folks at the time was eating it up because there was there was nothing else like this out there okay um the people's temple incorporated elements of socialist and egalitarian ideology mesmerizing its followers with utopian ideals jimmy was a master of manipulation um coercing his followers into believing that only those who adhered to his commands and followed his guidance were good people he adopted an alarmist approach to manipulation taught classes on marxist ideology and regularly took his congregation on testimony excursions to straighten their commitment to the cause so he was already starting to like manipulate these people i mean he started doing that shit with the chicken gizzards and shit like what the fuck you using <laughs> fucking chicken gizzards wait till you <laughs> find out what I, he did to this one woman no i'm gonna just tell you now like one of the the healings that he faked since we know he faked the healings uh-huh. he drugged this woman <gasps> and put a cast on her arm and when she woke up they told her that she had been taken to the hospital after she fainted and broke her arm now a few days later jones drags her out in front of the congregation heals her and takes the cast off but her arm was never broken in the first place but that lady ain't at no point did she look at her arm like damn i can wiggle my goddamn fingers there's nothing off he is he gets good at what he does convincing people just like him and um a white man targeting black people but we'll get into that mm-hmm. um between the inception of the people's temple pe- temple in 1960 the church changed its denomination multiple times around the time as the latter rain movement jones began to closely associate with the independent assemblies of god or the iog um the iaog had fewer requirements for ordaining ministers okay. and they were accepting of all faith healing practices and jones was like cool i'm not a minister I do these fake ass revivals. Let's do it. Right. Um, in 1956, he was actually ordained as an IAOG minister by a leader within the latter rain movement uh, named Joseph Matson Booz. All right. And these are black people now that he's dealing with or a mix. Um, a mix. Okay. When, when we're talking about these other churches, they're still white. Oh, okay. um, there's a few revivals that he went to and he actually took inspiration um, from a, a gentleman um and that's how he based his whole persona on but we'll get into that soon okay you're getting ahead of me my bad um so he was very quickly rising to prominence within this group and later that year he hosted a healing convention Mm -hmm. Uh, to draw crowds he shared a pulpit with a man named william bran now branham was also famous for telling people in attendance their name address and why they came for prayer before announcing they were healed and so he was pretty much doing the same thing Jones was doing between Branham and Jones. They attracted an audience of 11,000 at their first joint campaign. It was at this campaign convention that Branham issued a prophetic endorsement of Jones and his ministry saying that God had used the convention to send forth a great new ministry or Jim 
Jones. Okay. Um, many people already believed that Jones possessed a supernatural gift. <sighs> and with the prophecy of Branham, attendance of the People's Temple really took off, swelling from 20 to 30 people to over 1,000 overnight. Uh, with the support of both Matson Bowes and Branham behind him, Jones was making connections left and right through the Lateran movement. Uh, as I mentioned before, Jones was cherry picking through religions like Cosmic Trail Mix. Uh, from the latter rain movement he adopted a doctrine that he'd carry with him from the rest of his life it was called the manifested sons of god it was believed within that movement that individuals could become manifestations of god with supernatural gifts and superhuman abilities and now y'all remember as a kid he was already telling people that he had supernatural abilities like he could fly and shit so this was (laughs) something that was right up his alley um, they believed that this was a signal that Jesus was coming back mm-hmm. and that the people who had these gifts would bring an age of heaven on earth. Jones loved that shit. And he would eventually morph into the idea that he himself was a manifestation of God. By the late 1960s, Jones taught that he was a manifestation of Christ the revolution. Hallelujah. Oh, okay. um, my Lord. Through the latter rain movement, Jones was also introduced to Father Divine, a black man who was a spiritual leader of the International Peace, Peace Mission Movement. Okay. Father Divine was often ridiculed for his claims to divinity. Um, Jones would publicly disavow Father Divine. So publicly, he was like, I don't know this man. I don't like him. He's a liar. But secretly, he started promoting Divine's teachings on the low. Okay. Uh, and what those teachings were again we're going to get into anyways branham and father divine were his major influences uh, and he adopted elements of their methods doctrines and style like clothing style um jones learned uh most of his recruitment tactics from branham and would later go on to make similar claims that he was the return of elijah the prophet the voice of god a manifestation of christ and promote the belief that the end of the world was imminent uh, with the endorsement of Branham and Matson Bowes and all the conventions they were doing, Jones secured connections through the latter rain movement. He used these meetings and connections to gain wide publicity while continuing to disguise the fact that he was using religion to further his political ideals. Okay. Um, I don't think I need to go on with that past this point. Jim Jones was a controversial figure known for his socialist politics his advocacy for racial equality, and his unorthodox religious beliefs. Okay. Um, He preached a message of social justice and community building, which attracted many followers uh, who were disillusioned with mainstream society. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk People's Temple. Um, The church stood out for its multiracial membership, which as we know, wasn't really heard of at the time, especially in KKK Central, you hear me? Okay. Um, The People's Temple is often branded as a cult whose members blinded blindly devoted their allegiance to a man and uh, caused at the expense of their own selves and livelihoods. But mm-hmm. a closer look at Jim Jones's followers reveal, reveals a large and diverse mix of racial uh, activists and ideals. Um, so basically he was like preying on these poor people. Um, yes, but it's not like these people were stupid or crazy or anything like that because the work that Jim Jones was doing publicly at the time was something that even i could believe in you know what i mean right right right, um so i i can see how this would be attractive Um, okay so during their time with the people's temple the congregation did a number of altruistic deeds and there are members who attribute um getting off drugs and alcohol to joining the temple okay Uh, members remember this time with fondness 
the people were the attraction of the temple, Catherine Barber says, of her initiation into the group. So much of it was revolving around Jim Jones, and he was the one who was always given credit for everything, but the people were the attraction. Right. It was amazing to be walking into a place and have African Americans really warmly greeting you and talking to you and sharing stories with you. It was sweet. Keep in mind during this time, um, Jones still appeared to be an idealistic humanitarian. The temple stressed equality for all, asking members to attend in casual clothes so poor members wouldn't feel out of place, and providing shelter to those in need. At this point, the temple was 50% Black, but I think he wanted more Black folk coming into his sermon. So here in 1959, he hired a Black preacher named Archie L. James, or L. James. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But he was the first to commit to Jones' socialist collective program. In that year, the church joined the Christian church, or the Disciples of Christ, and was renamed the People's Temple Christian Church Full Gospel, which I think is a dumbass name, but hey, it worked. Membership went up, and the reputation of the organization was in good standing. Okay. Um, so you remember I told you that he was adopting the ideals of Father Divine. Mm -hmm. One of Father Divine's teachings was... Um, taking care of the poor. So in 1960, the church opened a soup kitchen um, for the poor, and they actually produced 2,800 meals a month. And they expanded their services to include rental assistant, job placement services, free canned goods, clothing, um, coal for winter heat, he heating. Uh. They really peaked when Jones was appointed the Indianapolis Human Rights Commission, where he very publicly attempted to integrate businesses. Um, Up until this point, and for, sorry, I glitched. Um, up until this point and for a few more years out, I believe he and his wife adopted several non-white children. Jones referred to his family as a rainbow family and stated, integration is a more personal thing to me with me now. It's a question of my son's future. He okay. also portrayed the temple as his rainbow family as well, because everybody was mixed. Um, things are going to start happening fast now, so keep up. Um, so boom. 1961, Jones begins to act a little weird, a little squirrely. Uh, he tells his congregation that he received visions of a nuclear attack that would devastate Indianapolis. The fuck? Yeah. Jones begins to look for a way to escape the imminent danger. And in January of 1962, he reads an article in Esquire magazine that states that South America was the safest place to reside to escape any impending nuclear war. I don't know how they came to that conclusion, but Jones was like, yup. They write. So Jones travels to South America to scout for a site to relocate the People's Temple. Jones makes a stop in Georgetown, Guyana, on his way to Brazil, where he held revival meetings. Mm -hmm. And the family actually ends up moving to Rio de Janeiro in the mid 1960s, uh, mid 1963, where they worked with the poor in the favelas. Um, I was doing this, and I was wondering if they came across that one chick, um, the one that killed her husband. Oh, the, the what, what was her name again? I don't remember. Goddamn. All right. Okay. But anyway, um, Jones was super guilty about abandoning his civil rights struggle in Indiana. During mm -hmm. his absence, regular attendance at the People's Temple fell to less than 100 people. <laughs> um, Jones demanded that the People's Tem Temple actually send all of its income to him in South America to help support his efforts, putting the church in debt. In late 1963, Archie L. James sent word to the temple that the temple was about to collapse and threatened to resign if Jones did not come back soon. So he does just that in December of 1963. 
when he got there, all hell had broken loose. Between financial issues and low attendance, Jones was forced to sell the church building and relocate to a smaller building nearby. To raise money, Jones returned to the revival circuit. He also told his congregation that the world would be engulfed by nuclear war by July 15, 1967, leading to a socialist Eden on Earth, and the safest place for them would be Northern California. So, I don't know, make that make sense. It's so random. Um, But anyways, in 1964, he goes to California to scout suitable locations and in July 1965, Jones and his followers began moving to their new location in Redwood Valley, California. Okay. Uh, Russell Weinberg, the People's Temple associate pastor, strongly resisted Jones's efforts to move the congregation and warned members that Jones was abandoning Christianity. So there's your first warning. All right. uh, Weinberg took over leadership of the Indianapolis church when Jones developed departed about 140 of jones most loyal followers made the move to california Mm -hmm. while the rest remained behind with weinberg well while in cali um, jones ended up taking a job as a teacher for adult education he used his position to recruit for the people's temple (laughs) teaching his students the benefits of marxism and lecturing on religion jones also planted members of the people's temple in classes uh, to help recruit and their combined efforts bumped up the congregation count by 50 people and he talked another 75 members from moving to california um, from moving from indiana to california okay me. so at this point there's i don't know 300 and something of them um in 1968 um the people's temple California location was admitted into the Disciples of Christ. Jones began to use the denominational collection to promote the People's Temple at as part of the 1.5 million member denomination. He played up famous members of the Disciples, including Lyndon B. Johnson and mm-hmm. J. Edgar Hoover, who and misrepresented misrepresented his the nature of his position within the domination. So he was lying, basically. Um, he was on that fuckery. He was inflating his sense of self. Uh, mm-hmm. By 1969, Jones increased the membership in the People's Temple um, to 300 people. So between the 75 people he added and the 50 and then all of this other stuff, there's 300 members now in California. Okay. Weird, but up until this point, Jones actually managed to conceal the communist aspects of his teachings until the late 60s after the relocation where he began to gradually introduce his beliefs to his followers. His teachings got a little weird here. Um, For example, he began calling Christianity a flyaway religion rejecting the Bible as a tool to oppress women and non-whites. And I mean, was he wrong? Um, I was about to say. No lies. Um, Jones also referred to Christianity's view of God as a sky God who was no God at all. Yep. Instead, Jones was God and there was no God beside him. And like, you know, he knew this was wrong because he was very careful to avoid claiming divinity outside the people's temple. Uh-huh. But inside the temple, he fully expected to be acknowledged as godlike by his followers. He was quoted wow. by a former temple member uh, named Hugh Fortson Jr. as saying, what you need to believe in is what you can see. If you see me as your friend, I'll be your friend. If you see me as your father, I'll be your father. For those of you who don't have a father, if you see me as your savior, I'll be your savior. And if you see me as your God, I'll be your God. So he, oof, 
that just gave me goosebumps um he did other shit like criticizing the king james bible and dismissing king james as a slave owner and a capitalist who was responsible who was was responsible for the corrupt translation of scripture so king james was a slave owner and a capitalist um god damn the way my knee just buckled (laughs) jones claimed that he was sent to share the true meaning of the gospel that had been kept hidden by corrupt leaders i mean brother man kind of spitting facts like other than him being god you know what i mean right Uh, everything else makes sense. I can see how and why people were drawn to this kind of teaching, Mm -hmm. especially with the racial turmoil of the 50s and the 60s. Um, But back to it. At this point, Jones was frequently warning his followers of an imminent apocalyptic nuclear race war. He claimed that Nazis and white supremacists would put people of color into concentration camps and that he was a messiah sent to save people. Now, doesn't that sound like Charles Manson? Yeah, and doesn't that sound like um what the fuck the DC sniper? Oh, it does. Yeah, Muhammad. Oh, and <laughs> goddamn. It was at this point that Jones began using drugs, uh, which made his paranoia worse. I thought he wasn't fucking with drug with people who were on drugs, so. Okay, but he's been a fraud. Since you, he's guess, a right? big old hypocrite. Um, mm-hmm. he be. So the drugs made his paranoia worse. He began using fear to control his members, frequently warning them that there was an enemy seeking to destroy them. Who that enemy was depended on the day of the week. Uh, It changed from the KKK to Nazis to redneck vigilantes and finally the American government. He frequently prophesied that fires, car accidents, and death or injury would come upon anyone unfaithful to him and his teachings. And on top of that, he was always pressuring members to spread his message. Um, And if they don't, you know, they had hell to pay. Jones actually established a planning committee made up of his lieutenants. He had lieutenants. Now ain't that weird. uh, To direct the people's temple communal lifestyle. Jones, through the planning commission, began controlling all aspects of the lives of his followers. Members who joined the people's temple turned over all their assets to the church in exchange for free room and board. Members who who worked outside the temple turned over their income to be used for the benefit of the community. So, this is... This is... uh, this is where shit goes left. My it people. does. Um, Jones also directed groups of his followers to work on various projects for additional income and set mm. up a- an agriculture um, operation in Redwood Valley to grow food. So there's, he's still trying to set up a communal lifestyle. Mm. Um, large community outreach projects were organized and people's temple members were bused to perform work and community service across the region. Okay. Um, the first known serious case of abuse in the people's temple arose in California as the planning commission uh, carried out discipline. Um, what do you mean? Discipline. Yes. Uh, well, if you weren't following Jones's rules or fulfilling his vision, there was hell to pay. Um, Jones's control over the members of the people temple extended to their sex lives and who could be married. Some members were coerced to get abortions and Jones began to require sexual favors from some of the wives of the members of the church and raped several male members of his congregation. What? Yes. Yes. Um, So there's that trigger warning. Um, Members who rebelled against Jones's control were punished with reduced food rations, harsher work schedules, 
public ridicule, humiliations, and sometimes with physical violence. Uh, as the People's Temple membership grew, Jones created an armed security group to ensure order among his followers and guarantee his own personal safety. Y'all remember that. He has an armed security group that he now has with him. Mm -hmm. So by the end of 1969, the People's Temple was growing rapidly. Um, Jones's message of economic socialism and racial equality, along with the integrated nature of the People's Temple, was super attractive, especially to students and minorities. Okay. And people didn't know what they were getting into when they joined. And once they joined, it was impossible to get out because all of their assets had been turned over. It's like oh. a weird gang. Um by 1973, the temple opened branches in several cities, including San Fernando, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, and had 2,500 uh, members with 36,000 subscribers to its fundraising newsletter. Jesus. For the time, these were huge numbers. Like nowadays, super churches have that easy, but back then, this was not done. Mm -hmm. uh, for the time, excuse me, uh, Jones began receiving bad press in October of 1971 when reporters covered one of his divine healing services during a visit to his old church in Indianapolis. This news report led to an investigation by the Indiana State Psychology Board into Jones's healing practices in 1972. Okay. A doctor involved in the investigation accused Jones of quackery and challenged Jones to give tissue samples of the material he claimed fell off people when they were healed of cancer. Jones had been, forming, been performing faith healing miracles since his joint campaigns with William Bram. Um, on several occasions, his healings were revealed as nothing but a hoax. Um, and again, he, he drugged that one woman and mm -hmm. he had them coughing up gizzards. And um, yeah. he also pretended to have visions about people which revealed hidden details of their lives. Um, Jones was scared as fuck that this was about to come out. And in response, he announced that he was terminating his ministry in Indiana because it was too far from Cali for him to attend to. Oh, uh, wow. This did not make the problem go away, however, and the issue only escalated. Okay. Uh, Lester Kinsolving ran into, uh, wrote a series of articles targeting Jones and the People's Temple uh, in the San Francisco Examiner uh, in September of 1972. Fun fact about Lester Kinsolving, he was the first reporter to ask questions about the HIV pandemic when it started. Like everybody else was pussyfooting around it. And he was like, no, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, and so these stories reported on Jones's claims of divinity and exposed purported miracles as a hoax. So uh, this Lester dude found out everything and wrote about it. Okay. In 1973, former members, Former followers of Jones began working with a group to investigate the People's Temple, and boy, did shit hit the fan, fan. <laughs> they uncovered a staged healing, the abusive treatment of a woman in the church, and evidence that Jones rapes male members of his congregation. Oh. News of the members' work with the group reached Jones, who became more paranoid that the authorities were after him. Shortly after this, uh, eight members of the People's Temple made accusations of abuse against the Planning Commission and People's staff members. They accused them of being gay and questioned their true commitment to socialism before ditching the church. Uh, Jones mm. became convinced that he was losing control, which, let's be real, he was. He was. And he felt like he needed to relocate the People's Temple to escape mounting, mounting threats and allegations. Okay. Um, just a sidebar, because I found this real odd and suspicious. 
On December 13, 1973, Jones was arrested and charged with lewd conduct for allegedly masturbating in the presence of a male undercover LAPD officer in a movie theater restroom near uh, MacArthur Park. What? I just think it's weird because the charges were dropped, the court file was sealed, and the judge ordered that records of the arrest be destroyed. And that was December 20th. So like seven days later, all this went away. So it makes me wonder if he had some dirt or something on On them. Yes. Anyway, I thought that was weird. All right. Um, So we got the courts in his pocket. Yes. He... Yes. Okay. So uh, in the fall of 1973, Mm. uh, Jones decided it was time to come up with a plan B. Him and his little committee decided that Guyana was the perfect location due to its recent revolution, socialist government, and favorable... um, The way he was treated when he went to visit, he liked that. uh, That the people of Guyana liked him. So this is why he chose Guyana. Um, Okay. Note here that in a newspaper interview... um, Jones indicated that he would actually rather settle his commune in a communist country like China or Soviet Union. And he was absolutely a fan of Kim Il-sung and Joseph mm-hmm. Stalin and John. It, it was bad. Okay. Um, the His idols are just shit. Um, and, what was that one white lady say? Pick better idols? Yes, do better. Yeah, yeah do fucking better. Um, and he was deeply saddened at his inability to move to China or the Soviet Union. In the summer of 1974, land and supplies were purchased in Guyana, and by December 74, the first group of about 50 people arrived in Guyana to start operating the commune that would become known as Jonestown. Um, he <coughs> named it after himself. Ain't that some shit? Uh, mm-hmm. Jones left Il James to oversee Jonestown while he returned to the United States to continue his efforts to combat the negative press. He was largely unsuccessful, and more stories of abuse in the People's Temple were leaked to the public. In March 1977, a Marshall Kilduff published a story in Newswest magazine exposing abuses in the People's Temple. Um, mm. The article included allegations by Temple defectors of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. At this point, it was really time to dip, and Jones began compelling members to move to Guyana. Okay. Jones promoted the commune as a means to create both a socialist paradise and sanctuary from media scrutiny in San Francisco. Jones told folks he was trying to establish it as a model communist community, adding the temple was comprised of the purest communists ever. The fuck? <laughs> Such a weirdo. Uh, once they arrived in Jonestown, they were never allowed to leave. Well, Jimmy would not allow it. Entertaining movies that... So before Jones got there, they were doing really good, okay? They... Mm. Um, they had school, they had food, they had buildings, they were they were building it up. Um, they had movies happening. Once Jones got there, the movies were cut and Soviet propaganda was shorn, shorn, shown to people. Okay. Um, and documentaries on American social problems. Lessons on the Soviet affiliations, Jones's crisis, and the alleged mercenaries <coughs> dispatched by a Tim Stolen, who we'll get into. Okay. Um, he uh, Tim Stone actually defected from the People's Temple and turned against the group, according to Jones. Okay. And so this was a lot of the topics that they talked about. Um, every night, Jones would make everybody gather around mm-hmm. for midnight lectures. Like he would sound an alarm and randomly wake everybody up in the middle of the night. Yeah. And everybody had to come down to the pavilion and sit and listen to his bullshit. 
Um, All right. Yeah. It's still being fucking bad. Catch me in the daylight. It's important to mention that by 1977, Jonestown was expanding, but was not actually ready to handle a large influx of settlers. Buildings fell into disrepair and weeds were creeping up on the fields because once the settlers started coming in, um, they're, they pretty much stopped working on the place and started attending to what Jones wanted them to do. Gotcha. Um, he had many special needs, as y'all will learn. Um, Le James warned Jones that the facilities could only support about 200 people, but Jones believed that people needed to move there ASAP. So by May 1977, Jones and about 600 of his followers arrived in Jonestown, Mm -hmm. and then 400 more followed in the following months. That brought the total people there to 1,050. 902 of them never left. And that's where we're going to cut this episode. What the fuck do you mean 902 of them never left? 902 of them never left. And then you're just going to cut us. <laughs> I feel like I knew this prior, but... You did. I told you this line was coming. I, t- I told her this line was coming, y'all. But in part two, what we're going to get into is the actual tragedy of Jonestown and what happened and why those 902 people never left. Out of 1,050? Yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. Oh. It's rough. But anyways... It's the fact, like, I don't know if I should end this or if you should. You did a damn good job. Thank you. You're welcome. I tried. I don't... You're not going to tell him bye? Oh, yeah. Bye, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, thank y'all for tuning in to Black Girl True Crime. Again, this is Sammy. I'm going to go ahead and plug Sammy's information in the show notes uh, so y'all can follow him on TikTok. And yeah, we're going to go ahead and end this episode and we'll catch y'all next time. Bye. Deuces. (laughs)